For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From MEATEATER's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Shark week may be mercifully over, but issues surrounding sharks and recreational fishing aren't going anywhere. That's why we are excited to talk to Virginia Representative Rob Whitman. Representative Whitman represents Virginia's first district, and he just introduced a bill in the U.S. Congress he calls, and get ready for this, the Supporting the Health of Aquatic Systems Through Research, Knowledge, and Enhanced Dialogue Act, which, if you can't tell, is a tortured acronym that shortens to the Sharked Act. The Sharked Act would create a federal task force to study the effects of shark depredation, specifically what we can do to minimize shark depredation on recreational fishermen's catch. You may remember a few weeks ago, we covered a big controversy involving a team of marlin anglers who had their fish disqualified because it had been chewed on by a shark, breaking those tournament rules. Saltwater anglers know that's not uncommon. The taxman, as sharks are referred to, frequently take their share of a fisherman's catch, and Representative Whitman says this problem has gotten substantially worse in the last five years. We had Representative Whitman on the show to talk about sharks, saltwater anglers, and how these two groups can coexist without minimizing the great work that's been done to conserve sharks over the last few decades. The Shark Act framework authorizes the Secretary of Commerce to establish a task force composed of marine biologists and other experts who will identify research opportunities, priorities, and funding for things like shark stock assessments, how sharks become habituated to humans, and what kinds of strategies can be used to minimize human-shark interactions. The bill mentions both harvesting more sharks as well as non-lethal deterrence amongst the possible future management strategies. At one point, you'll hear us reference the Magnuson-Stevens Act. This is the primary law that governs marine fisheries management in U.S. federal waters. 
First passed in 1976, the MSA fosters the long-term biological and economic sustainability of marine fisheries. Its objectives are to prevent overfishing, rebuild overfished stocks, increase the long-term economic and social benefits, ensure a supply of seafood, and protect fish habitat, among others. It's a huge law that's difficult to change, but any alteration to shark management could involve a change to Magnuson-Stevens. As I've said, we've got this super informational interview with Representative Whitman. And outside of that, all we got to my week. And this week, you know, had a great time. Swung through Weatherby. Picked up a brand spanking new Orion side-by-side in 20-gauge. That's right. Two barrels. One sitting right there next to the other one. Two triggers. Heck of a good price. The thing fits great. It shoots great. I am so excited to get out with it this fall with old Snorticus. Then I went from there over to Buffalo, Wyoming, and sat in on a corner-crossing listening session with uh, Wyoming constituents who showed up. Uh, that was hosted by TRCP and BHA. Great time over there at uh, Bond Brewing. Super informed constituency over there. Wyoming folks care about their access, and they should. Outside of that, old Snorticus and I have been hitting the trails hard trying to get the lungs and legs prepared for the upcoming seasons while avoiding the heat. It's not going too bad. No measurable effect on the beer gut, but the legs and lungs are coming along. And of course, the exercise makes the beer taste better. So the only thing you did was stop drinking beer? Yeah, I lost 50 pounds in one month. How much beer were you drinking? (laughs) I know, right? Probably too much. One last note before we move on to the interview. Hey, Texas! What in the Sam Hill is going on down there? I thought Texicans were big on freedom, but according to all of your state representatives, on up through your governor, you are not. Recently, the Texas State Senate passed SB 1236, that's State Bill 1236, which makes it illegal to hunt public riverbeds and streams using rifles, shotguns with slugs, and archery equipment, unless those bows are equipped with a reel and line. During the legislative session, this bill was opposed by various groups, including the Texas chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. However, despite the opposition, SB 1236 was passed unanimously. That means everyone voted aye and was signed into law by the governor. This law has significant implications for hunting access and opportunities. Remember, Texas, you have less than 2% federally managed public lands and about the same in state managed public lands. Hard to imagine giving up access to what you have left. Lack of access is cited by sportsmen and women in the United States as the number one reason they stop pursuing their passions of hunting and fishing. If you find this degradation of hunting access irksome, please sign the petition at backcountryhunters.org forward slash save public hunting opportunities on Texas waterways. All right, Phil, let's hear about the Shark Act. Representative Whitman. Yes. Just call me Rob, please. (laughs) I like it. Well, um, you know, our our folks listening are not going to be able to uh, see what we're seeing on on the video here, but you look like a a fishy dude, I would say. (laughs) Uh, You're you're sunburnt uh, or maybe uh, kissed is a more appropriate uh, (laughs) description. Um, Wearing a fishing shirt and a fishing cap. Yes. Uh, and I understand that uh, perhaps some of this is coming from your fishing background or personal experiences. 
That that is correct. That is correct. I worked for a number of years as a, a mate on a charter boat in the Outer Banks, and also in the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, I'm an avid recreational fisherman, so much of this has come from personal experience. Whether it's off the Carolinas or in Florida, or for that matter, even even on the West Coast, this is uh, a uh, a problem that has really uh, exploded in the past five years as far as shark populations and what's happening to recreational fisheries all across the spectrum. And it's not just the charter boat fishery, it's also uh, private recreational fishermen that are dealing with this on a daily basis. So it's pretty, pretty significant. And is this specific? Well, let's let's define what this is. Is this a anti-shark bill? No, it's not. It, it's really about recognizing the incredible job that's been done by resource managers, fisheries managers, in in recovering this resource. You know, for years, large coastal sharks were were at low population levels. I would argue today they're at as high a level both in biomass and in spawning biomass as they have been at least since we've been keeping records. Of course, it would be nice to get a little more scientific data on that, and that means we need to do more recent stock assessments. But if you look at this uh, from an anecdotal standpoint, I would say the body of evidence anecdotally with what fishermen are experiencing and what we are seeing, that there is a tremendous recovery in shark populations. So this is all about how do we continue with healthy shark populations? And we know that we're in the middle of Shark Week on Discovery. So everybody is focused on sharks and shark populations and what we're doing there. They're incredible creatures. But what we want to make sure is somehow that there is a that there's a, a, a healthy uh, coexistence, a healthy, as the scientific term goes, symbiotic relationship with recreational fishermen. And I would argue that's not in a symbiotic state right now. It is in a state where uh, the sharks have the leg up. And listen, the sharks have become very conditioned to knowing where the easy meals come from. And it used to be in certain areas, you know, you could go. But if you moved away from there, you could kind of get away from the sharks. I mean, anybody that's fished Marathon Lump knows you go there to catch a blackfin tuna. And, you know, it used to be you could go there and you might be able to get, you know, 50% of your tunas in. It's got to the point right now where you get 0% of your tunas in. You might get one out of 15 and right now, if you if you are if you are in the sharks, you just have to move because you know it's it's a it's not a winning game. We're seeing the same thing uh, off the, the power banks of uh, paying the tax man. Right, uh, these you're hooking a tuna, and during that fight, those sharks key into that fish in distress, and and hit that relatively easy meal versus a, a free swimming tuna. Yes. Yeah. In most situations, those sharks, although they're pretty good swimmers, wouldn't be able to chase down a free swimming tuna here. It's pretty easy for them to do that. And it's not just tunas there in Florida. It's off the East Coast. Uh, it's it's widespread on the East Coast now. If you talk to charter fishermen there, it's also widespread on the, the inshore tarpon fishery. I know I go tarpon fishing in the springtime down in Florida. And whether it's big hammerheads or schools of bull sharks, it's pretty Pretty incredible what happens there uh, when you're when you're there at Boca Grande or any of those places. So it, it's widespread. It's also bottom fishermen. It used to be you didn't have to worry about that. Now you're fighting for uh, your red snapper catch, even if there's a, only a couple of days of red snapper season on the East Coast. Now you now you have to to try to find a weather window to go. But now you got to fight the sharks for getting one or two fish on board. So it's it's widespread, and it, we you know we have to be able to address this. This is not about 
killing sharks. This is about how do we find innovative ways to coexist with sharks? How do we find ways to uh, to make sure that this isn't something that becomes catastrophic for the recreational fishing uh, industry, especially in in these uh, in these coastal saltwater areas? Well, yeah, you know, I have to be honest with you. Um, I am speaking to you from a landlocked state, Montana. Um, Jordan mm-hmm. is in Texas. Everything in Texas is very hot right now, and I'm sure he feels very far from the from the water and the cool sea breeze. But when we were first contacted, the response was, "Oh, shark populations are in decline," and you know that healthy shark population is often uh, an indicator of an overall healthy fishery. And what I am seeing in the Shark Act is. This isn't an, a direct address to the shark. It is a kind of a call to arms to find that data that you talked about. So establish a task force to identify and address critical needs with respect to shark depredation, asking for each regional fishery management council to have a representative, each marine fisheries commission to have a representative, the Fish and Wildlife Agency from each coastal state, regional fishery management councils long way of saying um, you're asking, and probably if this were to pass, it would be more than an ask, but a mandate to have uh, somebody who represents all interests at one table and get on the same page as to uh, some of these misnomers, what the population is doing in each region. That's that's absolutely correct. You know, we had a hearing yesterday on the bill. The National Marine Fisheries Service came in and said, "Oh no, don't don't worry about this. We're looking at this." Well, uh, if if they were doing something that was properly addressing the issue, then we wouldn't see this this incredible rise in shark depredation and people losing their their catch. So I I, I want to make sure that we are you know understanding what this is about. This is this is about the proper balance. Um, the shark population issue and where it is today and determining what do we do going forward. You know, an, another thing too, is we have to understand that a lot of the the visions and ideas about where shark populations are today are based on stock assessments that are very old. So they are not current stock assessments. So, you know, the first thing that needs to happen, I believe, and I think this panel will probably agree to that is that, you know, how do we get the most recent data on shark populations? And that's that's key. And then from there, what we have to do is to make sure that we are um, making determinations about what what is what is the best step forward. I, I think if anybody talks to recreational fishermen pretty much anywhere along the U.S. coast, they will find that these interactions with fishermen and sharks, you know, have, have grown exponentially. So the question then becomes twofold. First of all, what is it about shark populations that is there today? What is it about behavior of sharks that has changed? And obviously, they're opportunistic. You know, if they can get an easy meal, they are going to do that. So it's a matter of how do we address that? There's other folks that have tried different technologies out there, and we know that it's been done to try to prevent uh, shark attacks. But, you know, we're seeing this across the spectrum. And again, I understand that this is anecdotal, but that's why we put this bill in is to try to get to some of the science behind this. You know, you see headlines all the time. What do you see in the summertime? More shark interactions along the coast with swimmers. You, you see more and more of that. You see unbelievable pictures in shallow coastal areas of large schools of shark 
black fins and others. And people are going, wow, what in the world is going on? So while all of that is is anecdotal, I think it should beg the scientific question, okay, what's going on with sharks and what do we do about this? This is a human shark interaction. So whether it's on a boat and eating somebody's catch uh, before they can get it to the boat, uh, I, I would say it's probably not a catch at that particular point, but it's uh, the angling experience or what's happening in these in these interactions in coastal areas with swimmers. All those things, I think, need, need to be addressed. Yeah. And how do we determine if there's a lopsided shark population in certain areas or if the population as a whole is, uh, you know, in an overabundant state? And yes. the ocean's a giant place, so um, it seems like you are really trying to address that question in particular in the Shark Act, uh, which I love to see. I mean, information is is power here. Do you foresee the ability for uh, recreational anglers to participate in the in the Shark Act by providing uh, kind of citizen science information? Absolutely. I think that's critically important. In fact, I've been a leader on the Natural Resources Committee to make sure that as we gather information, which is required under the Magnuson-Stevens Act to manage these fish populations, is that it's not just the data generated by fisheries managers and researchers in that realm, but it's also data that we gather from fishermen. You know, fishermen have an incredible depth and wealth of data. And while it may be observational, it's very easy to be able to take it and structure it in a way where it is it is uh, objective data that can be used very, very skillfully in determining what's happening with populations. So, yeah, we have to do both. We have to make sure that we do, you know, the, the survey methodology to figure out what's out there, doing very structured uh, surveying, sampling, as, as they call it. Uh, but then also use the information from, from fishermen because a fisherman will give you the breadth and depth of information about where they are, where they're seeing these shark populations. And at the very least, that should inform fisheries managers about where they should look towards how these populations of sharks are manifesting themselves. So, you know, it's kind of the same thing with the Gulf Red Snapper fishery. For years, the fisheries managers would go out and they do these trawl surveys and say, oh, guess what? There are no red snapper out there. And the fishermen would go, yeah, they're all over the place. We can't keep them off our hooks. And it turned out that the fisheries managers were going to sample in areas that weren't habitat for Gulf red snapper. They are they are bottom fish that relate to bottom structure. And if you fish out in areas where there's no bottom structure, you're not going to find them. So I think at the very least, recreational fishermen can do a great job at informing fisheries managers about where to go look and do their sampling, their stock assessment to determine, you know, the true depth and breadth of shark populations. Sure makes sense to me, other than the fact that we all know uh, fishermen are pretty good at uh, spinning a good yarn, right? Oh, yeah. Well, listen, I, you know, I, I, I've got a couple of comments back on this, and that is, you know, how, how, do, how, do, we, how do we know, you know, these aren't fish stories? I say, well, they're, they're just too many for there to be fish stories. And then, and then secondly, too, the other comment I get is, well, this is just sharks being sharks. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, sharks are predators. Sharks, you know, are going to take advantages. They're going to be opportunistic feeders. But the question is, is, you know, what are the things that we can do to assure that these economies in coastal areas that are dependent upon very robust uh, charter fisheries can continue? People are not going to pay 
good money to go out and, you know, contribute their catch to the Sharks. You know, a lot of these charter captains that I talk to say when we go out, you know, the first one or two fish that get, get eaten by a shark, it's kind of amusing for the folks on board. They like it. They're, oh, that's cool. They said, but by the time you're into the fifth, sixth, and seventh fish, and there's nothing in the fish box except, uh, you know, mouths and gill covers of the fish that you've hooked, all of a sudden the amusement goes right out the door. So I, I think it's incredibly important for us to look at, you know, what what is this issue? And it's it's more than sharks just being sharks. And it's more than the element of saying, well, there are a few fishermen that are telling some 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 fish tales. I think there's a, a lot to this. And our effort is to try to make sure that we are guiding this by a very thoughtful collection of scientific data. And then from that, using that effort to determine what's what's the, what are the best management decisions to make sure that we can minimize. You'll never do away with these interactions. You're never going to be in a situation where sharks don't take somebody's catch. But the key is, is how do we, how do we look at different realms to be able to, to, to reduce the impact on that? And it used to be, it was manageable, even if it was 50, 50, but you know, now that it's, you know, 90, 10 or 95, five, it's becoming a problem. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on X. 
The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Are you aware of, you know, what management decisions that could potentially be made uh, off of this data? Deterrence or, you know, species-specific harvest increases for some of these shark species? What could an end result be, in, in your opinion? Sure. Well, listen, you know, we, there, there's a shark fishery. It's, it's very, very small right now. And in many instances, a lot of folks have actually gotten out of the commercial fishery for sharks for a whole variety of reasons. And that's kind of a, a separate discussion. But I think that what this should do is to, is to look at, you know, where these shark populations are. They, are they focused on where these recreational fishing opportunities are where these other fish like tunas and others are, are abundant and where fishermen go to catch them. And if that's the case, let's look at, you know, some of the, the technology that's out there. There's some technology that uses sound and other, uh, other uh, 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 energy sources to try to repel the sharks. And I've talked to fishermen, some of them in certain situations are, are somewhat successful. Some in other situations are not. So I think it begs the, the question to look at all the different opportunities and technology that you could use to reduce this shark depredation. As I said, you're not going to you're not going to completely eliminate it, but, you know, to look at what's 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 the proper combination there. And again, I want to emphasize this is about making sure that we sustain healthy shark populations. Nobody wants to go in and say, well, let's let's catch all these sharks out and reduce populations. We understand you know, that they're an incredibly important part of the ecosystem. And, you know, these apex predators are pretty amazing. Uh, we absolutely want them to be there. The key is, is how do we, how do we make sure that we can coexist? And I think that's the key to this legislation is asking those questions, getting that information so we can make sound management decisions on how we have healthy, sustainable shark populations, but also those great recreational fishing opportunities that people spend a lot of money on each year, you know, whether it's tackle or boats or those sorts of things. Those are incredibly important parts of economies in coastal areas. But for that matter, you know, even inland, there are a lot of boat companies in the inland areas that make boats that these recreational fishermen purchase. And these are, you know, incredibly expensive platforms. So we want to make sure that opportunity continues. And do you uh, have, we've, we've kind of talked largely about your constituency here and their experiences. Do you, do you have a experience of your own where um, you kind of came to the hard fact conclusion of something's different now than it was then? I, I have, I, you know, I, like I said, I do some tarpon fishing down in Florida and uh, it used to be occasionally you'd have an interaction with a shark and a tarpon. I've had a couple of times where hammerheads have, you know, chased down the tarpon and I'll just open the bale let, and let the tarpon swim away or sometimes try to break them off. Although I don't like to do that because today with, with these braids, if you break off a long stretch of braid behind a fish, it's not, not good for them. So try to do that. And listen, I was in Boca Grande Pass one day and the, the most incredible scene you could ever see. And that is at a school of bull sharks. And these were big bull sharks come up and eat a tarpon. It was probably about 130 pounds. And, and they ate that tarpon all the way down to the gill plates. 
in about 45 seconds. So just an unbelievable. They are they are Mother Nature's wonder when it comes to being able to to, to eat and 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 eat with a vengeance. So I've seen that. I've said, they had the same thing too when I've gone tuna fishing and and uh, and then to uh, going out. It, it used to be you could go out and go fishing for redfish or red drum, and you, and you really never had to worry about it because the red drum would be right in feeding with the sharks many times. But I've had recently where we've had big redfish, 40 or 50 pound redfish get eaten by sharks. And that's a, that's a new phenomenon. So, uh, so th- those are some personal experiences that I've had that I look at and go, something has changed. And it's, you know, it's not just changing a little bit around the edges, it's changing exponentially. That's interesting. And yeah, boy, the tarpon's a beautiful fish and you want to keep them around. They're long lived and, uh, you know, incredible sport fish, but watching a big red drum get smash and not being able to eat it yourself is a different matter right so it is it is yeah that's uh that's table fare there and the same with the tuna you know you look at it you go hey i've i've waited you know for to to go on that charter fishing trip you're waiting in in anticipation and you you're you're you can taste the you can taste the tuna and then all of a sudden the, the shark gets gets your tuna it's a little disappointing so absolutely so you know we, we've kind of uh talked about uh, a little bit of the framework here and, and we'll definitely cover it a little bit deeper outside of your time. I personally like what I'm, I'm seeing here. You know, again, it's a call to arms to provide management specialists from all over to get to the same table and look at yeah. this uh, holistically is the word I would use. And yes. And I really like that. Who likes this and who doesn't like it? Who do you have support from? Who is giving you a hard time on this one? Well, listen, we've got a whole wide group of of organizations that are very focused on sustainable fisheries, folks like uh, the American Sport Fishing Association, the Guy Harvey Foundation. And if there's there, there's no stronger proponent of healthy marine ecosystems than Guy Harvey. We also have the National Marine Manufacturers Association, the Teddy Roosevelt Foundation. I mean, all of these are organizations that are well known for their balanced and thoughtful approach to fisheries management. So we've got a wide spectrum across the board. There are a number of other groups, too, and I'll make sure that we we send those to you. But those are the, I would say, the four that I would highlight as a really wide and diverse group of organizations that say, yeah, we, we need to look at this. And and listen, they were very thoughtful and helpful in, in with us in helping to craft the legislation. They said, listen, here are the folks that you want to involve in trying to get together the scientific body of knowledge to make the best decisions on this. There's nobody in this group that says, hey, let's go out and you know take out shark populations. Everyone there understands the true value of sharks, but they want to make sure that there's that balance. And And where are we at in the progress of this legislation? Uh, we heard you say that you've had one hearing or can you just give us an idea on the timeline and uh, who would be the uh, best people to call if uh, our listeners want to comment on the shark deck? Absolutely. Well, it's, it's, it had a hearing in the subcommittee, which is the first step for a bill to actually get before the full committee and go through a process called a markup. And that is you bring the bill before the committee. And if anybody says, hey, I, I want to change this or change that. They have an opportunity to submit amendments to make changes to the bill. And then once the committee reports it out, its next step is to go to the House floor to be voted on. And then 
at that particular point, it would have to go over to the Senate side in order for the Senate to pass the bill. So we're we are at the very beginning stages of the process. But the good news is it got a hearing. We had a great group of witnesses. And I think all the members had some very, very good questions about what the bill does and how it's addressing this issue of shark depredation. And, and listen, shark depredation is occurring everywhere. So it wasn't like members were saying, oh, it's not occurring in my area. Every member that asked a question was acknowledging the extent of the issue. So that, that that's where it is right now. We're hopeful here that when we get back to Washington in September, that it uh, is put on the full committee's agenda to actually go through the markup and get passed and then to be able to get to the House House floor. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, be sure to keep us posted when yes. uh, when we get to uh, both the Senate and, and House level. Um, would love to talk about this again. Sure. Uh, and and we can also, you, uh, as part of your question, too, you asked who could your listeners contact. They can contact our office. You can just go to um, uh, Whitman, that's W-I-T-T-M-A-N dot house dot G-O-V. And you can also contact other members of the Natural Resource Committee. So you can go to uh, U.S. House of Representatives. You can go to that website and just go to the Natural Resources Committee. And it'll give you a list of those members. And in that list, it'll give you their email addresses and their website. So you can usually there's a portal where there is a portal on all their websites where you can go and 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 send your comments to them via emails. So I would go to and you can Google if you want to to go directly to Natural Resource Committee, U.S. House of Representatives, and that'll give you the list. And then they'll give you their their email addresses, and you can mail directly to the members on the committee. And for for a lot of listeners, these will be members that will be from from your state or your Commonwealth. So I think it's a great opportunity to express your thoughts and ideas about this. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, obviously very appreciative of your time. Uh, I got to tell you that I just commit the reason I'm looking a little haggard and sweaty right now is um, I've committed to a very expensive bluefin tuna trip. Uh, oh, yes. For spearfishing. Wow. And, uh, I got to shock my lungs back into shape so I can get a decent breath hold and try to keep up you know humans don't keep up very well with bluefin uh but uh, you really don't have a chance if your beer belly's grown to the, the size of mine if i'm being honest man i'll tell you cal are you are you going to uh to the canadian waters area are you going out to the west coast where are you going to go to to try to spearfish them west coast west coast yeah yeah oh uh, the bluefin fishery there what a phenomenal comeback the bluefin fishery there i have some friends of mine that fish out there and recreational fishing fishing opportunity there's just off the hook i mean the number of 300 pound plus bluefin they're catching is just incredible so oh it's it's absolutely wild it really yeah. is and, and coming in so close to shore making them like yeah. very accessible to a lot of a lot of people a lot of different vessel sizes so that's it is very exciting right now um uh, but also lots of great questions about that connectivity of the ocean um, that yes. we don't know a lot about. So, uh, right. Well, you know, we, we talk about the West Coast there. I used to do a lot of long range fishing out of San Diego on the long range boats there. And we would go to uh, to several f fishing locations there. And uh, and when we would have notoriously great whites would hang out around the boat and they would take take their pick of the yellowfin tuna that that, that we were that we were catching. So quite quite the experience there. Of course, that was that was pretty neat because it was a single shark, and there was only so much the shark would do. And a lot of times they'd come in 
eat a few tunas and they, you know, it doesn't take long to, after they eat, you know, three, four, five, 80 pound tunas before they said, okay, even, even the biggest sharks say, okay, I'm full, I'm gone. You know, these other situations are multiple, multiple sharks. So, right. but it was, it's still a, a, an amazing thing to see. And sometimes too, the sharks would just show up at the boat and have no interest in eating. They just were curious. So, oh, but it's yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing like a big, great white. And, and that's uh, something that, you know, listeners should know is these are uh, amazing animals. They are yes. amazing. Uh, I certainly feel fortunate when I get to see them, especially speaking from a landlocked state. But just as a comparative example, I went out on Lake Erie last week and fished with a friend of mine and was having so much fun catching <clears throat> big uh, drum, big white drum. Oh, yeah. All, all like crazy. They're great but there's not a lot of people targeting them and taking them home specifically. So they are an overabundant population. And yes. for all the good experiences that they provide, eventually you get sick of catching them and you, yes. you get, uh, more folks were taking them home. So. Well, listen, I appreciate you all's interest in this. We'll make sure that we keep you plugged in, keep your listeners plugged in too. You know, this is a, this is really, you know, there's two two parts of this, Cal. There's one, and that is what an incredible management success story in the recovery of these shark populations. And now the key is, is you know, how do we take the next step? And that is strike that balance, that symbiotic relationship between, you know, fishermen and, and sharks. And I think there's a tremendous amount of respect for fishermen that they have for these sharks and how incredible they are. And the key is, how do we do that? in ways that we can enjoy the sharks and enjoy our opportunity to go fishing. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. And let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. On top of that, be prepared for hunting season by getting yourself a clean, quiet, battery-operated steel chainsaw. If you're confused on what you need, Go to www.steeldealers.com. Find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.